are elite. For everything you need to know about Mercedes Monet's AEW debut, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. If you like a lot of wrestling on your podcast, oh, I got no, not that one. Sorry. Um, welcome, everyone, to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. You see, whilst the other Cultaholic lads are having a lot of chocolate on their biscuit, we are here via our Ica Pro Power DeLorean back in the heady days of the early 90s, back when Monday Night Raw was about 49 minutes long and about three inches deep. Who be we? I be Fake Geordie, radio presenter sometimes, Tom Campbell, with the bear in the big blue bar cage, the head pen of Cultaholic. All that stuff you love reading in Cultaholic, chances are it's from the man from off of America, a Mr. Justin Henry. How you doing there, Tommy? We haven't plugged your books in a while. Uh, I Book, singular. And even then, it's half a book, because Mr. James Dixon wrote the other half of the book. We haven't plugged your half of a book in a while. <laughs> that sounds better. Give it a plug. Where can people read your writings? Uh, well, in addition to the scripts I write for the Cultaholic YouTube channel and the news I write for the Cultaholic website, you can also, if you wish, go on Amazon.com and purchase Titan Screwed, Lost Smiles, Stunners, and Screwjobs, co-written by James Dixon and myself. It is the backstage goings-on and synopses of WWE and WCW and ECW. 1997 and early 98. What I loved was, because um, now we are friends, I'd like to think, at the very best acquaintances. Um, oh, we're brothers, Tommy, you know that. Yeah, we're brothers, that's brilliant. So, the, but I've listened to a couple of other podcasts 
uh, over the last few years. And what I've noticed now is one in particular has referenced your book a couple of times. And who would that one be? Uh, the New Generation podcast, uh, which is uh, another British-based uh, wrestling podcast where they are looking in a similar era to us, sort of the, the heady days of the mid-90s. And a few times they do paraphrase stuff from Titan Screwed. I guess they do reference uh, the James Dixon Titan series on several occasions. I'm, I'm quite aware of that, and I'm very, I'm very flattered for the mentions. Well, I can take credit for, I can take credit for one sixth of the entire series. Hey, that's still a sixth that you've done. That, that's all that matters. That, this is true. Uh, I did the uh, Darren Younger Michael Tarver portions of a. Uh, it's like <laughs> if the books were the Nexus, then I, I comprise like one sixth or one seventh of it. You're Darren Younger Michael Tarver. Or, you know, Heath Slater, I'll take any. I'd say you're at the least, at the very least, you're probably a Husky Harris. Well, Husky's doing well these days. He's host of a kid's show somewhere exactly. out here. And uh, so, exactly. So you're fine. Take that. So anyway, <laughs> stop plugging your book, you arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> we have a bumper episode to crack on with. We are... Uh, as I said at the very beginning, we're going back through the years of Monday Night Raw. This is what we do every week, where we'll analyse uh, episode by episode uh, the longest-running episodic TV show in history. We will do this until probably the day we die. And where and when are we in our life cycle this week, Justin Henry? Well, this is a historic show, although you couldn't tell by watching it. This is actually the birth of the Monday Night Wars. Wow, so this was the night that Nitro launched. No, 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 not even that. Oh. This show went head-to-head with Starcade 1993. So Starcade 93 was on at exactly the same time. Monday night, December 27th, 1993. Because for a few years, there was Starcade rain on December 27th, regardless of what day of the week it landed on. So, looking back at that card, which I'm just pulling up in front of me now. I have it right here. Oh, well, there we go. What a hero. <laughs> so, what was Monday Night Raw up against this week, Justin? I'll tell you what. How good is your knowledge of WCW in 1993? I will certainly give it a good go. Normally, the answer is Ron Simmons or Vader. So, I'm happy to give it a go. <laughs> I'll tell you who won the match. You tell me who lost the match. Oh, just for okay. the sheer hell of it. Okay. So we start off with it. Even if your answer is way off, it'll be very entertaining. In a tag team match to open the show, the team of pretty wonderful Paul Orndorff and Paul Roma defeated who? Um, 93. I'm going to say American Males. You, you are half correct. <gasps> Buff Bagwell and someone Marcus, else. <laughs> yeah, Marcus Alexander Bagwell. And Brian two Pillman? Cold Scorpio. Oh, okay. I'll take half a point. That's when you had to answer before the match, and Buff showed he had no rhythm whatsoever. <laughs> and, and their manager was Teddy Long. Oh, wow. What a bizarre little, little trio that is. This one, if you get this, I will pull a Sam Driver and eat my hat. Oh, okay. And then we'll get married. Sure, why not? <laughs> I know I'm staying single after this, unless you're, you're cheating and you've pulled it up. <laughs> I'm not. I promise you I'm not cheating, because that's no fun. <laughs> in which case, null and void. 
The Shockmaster won a 90-second match over whom? So this would have been after, obviously after his debut. Um, but he would have lost the mask and he'd just be like, just like a normal bloke at this point. He was just Uncle Fred with the hard hat who fell down a lot. Um, Butch Reed. He beat King Kong. <laughs> As in the monkey from off of the films. Well, there was a tag team called the Colossal Kongs. There were two super heavyweight wrestlers who were well over 400 pounds each. It was King Kong, and if you can believe this, the other guy was named Awesome Kong. <laughs> not not Kia Stevens Karma, but Awesome Kong. I'd be a bit annoyed in that tag team, tag team if I was Awesome Kong. I'd be like, why aren't I King Kong? Why are you the top one? He could be Ace Kong. That trumps the king. I would be Queen Kong just to be awkward. Well, you'd be a rank below the king, but you're head of the jack. See, you have Jack King and Jack Kong. <laughs> and Jack, the, yes, Jack the Chopper is their manager. <laughs> the colossal Jacks. We're getting references to pretty much all of the Cold Hollywood lads in this week. I'm very happy with this. In a, in a TV title match that went to a time limit draw, who did Lord Stephen Regal go 50-50 with? Um, the Belfast Brawler, a.k.a. Finley. No, but it is someone who's who's still still able to kick ass at an older age. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Brilliant. I like that. I like that. There's people listening to this going, dude, does Tom think he is? He thinks he's a wrestling journalist. He doesn't know the card of Starcade 93. It was seven bad matches and then an awesome main event. Cactus Jack and the underrated Max Payne defeated whom? Um, the Nasty Boys. Uh, no. This this tag team actually went on to hold the WWE's tag team titles on two occasions between '96 and '97. Nope. No, they can't have been Doug and Phil. Ninety-six, ninety-seven. Mm. That wouldn't be the Godwins. It wouldn't be Legion of Doom. Uh, you're sure it's not the Godwins? Because it was the Godwins. Was it? Tex Slazenger, of course. And Shanghai Pierce. Oh yeah, they were Tex Slazenger. Oh, damn it. So as you can see so far, basically it's Regal and Steamboat carrying the show. No disrespect to Orndorff and Scorpion. Um. In a two out of three falls for the match for the U.S. title, Steve Austin won the belt in two straight falls over the reigning champion. Who was the reigning champion? It wasn't Ricky Steamboat, was it? Well, who, well he lost the Regal Earl, face Regal Earl in the night. Steamboat was in a match earlier. And um... someone, quite, someone quite well known and had a great career. Very young at this point. Um. Very, I wasn't been on, would it? Um, he may have had a five-star match this year. Against somebody he's known his whole life. Oh, oh, um, Dustin, Dustin, Dustin Runnels. Was it Dustin Rhodes? It was Dustin Rhodes. Get in! Come on! (laughs) 
I remember. I remember that match now. And happy to feed you that one. Thank you. No problem. In a match for the WCW International Championship, this would be the NWA title converted over into a pseudo world title belt. Ravishing Rick Rude was supposed to face Davy Boy Smith, but Bulldog left the company earlier that month, and he got a last-minute replacement from this former WWE rival. Ah, uh, now I know this. It was it was Ray Trailer. It was the boss, as in the boss. Man, is he big. <laughs> Go on, Ray. Um, Sting and Road Warrior Hawk. Sting in and Hawk? In a match for the tag team titles, beat the champions, but by disqualification. Who were those champions? I'm going to... I'm sure they were in the company at this point. I'm sure it was Nasty Boys or Harlem Heat. It was the Nasty Boys, yes. Oh, get in. Are those them or Harlem Heat? And if you don't know the main event of this show, then I'm going to... I, I know the main event. This this is this is uh, Flair and Vader. Correct. Nice. Flair for the gold and all that. <laughs> that might be the epitome of the, no disrespect to anyone on this card, but the nothing show but the legendary main event. Mm, it was all about that big match. and it was the, this, was the, this was the Flair for the gold thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was ten years later. It was Flair at ten years, ten years after he beat Harley Race at the first Starcade, wagering his career against the unbeatable monster Vader, in in Charlotte, North Carolina, before his friends and family. And did he win with a roll up? Yeah, it was a very awkward finish, but goddamn it, that didn't matter. The crowd popped like crazy. Yeah, that was it. That was all. Flair with tears, Flair with tears in his eyes. Michael Buffer losing his mind on. Is he the Buffer Capetta? I can't remember now, but it would have been <laughs> Capetta surely, because Buffer's always. Buffer never struck me as a wrestling fan, so I was—I I doubt he'd be that emotionally invested. Buffer was the second best Buffer to ever do ring announcing. <laughs> no, no one touches Bruce except for the Fink. So, so, t- so on this night, then Monday Night Raw was up against that card. Yes, Flair's crowning achievement back in WCW. So this is what they put up against that. <laughs> This is the third week of the Poughkeepsie tapings. I'm sorry, second week, second week, because the third week airs next week in 1994. This is this is week two of a taping. That's the first taping aired two weeks earlier. We discussed this in the last episode, the unusual taping schedule. Is it because... And, it, and it, it's, the pen is just dropped on this. So is it because they want to give the impression that they're moving around more than they are? I don't think so. I, I okay. thought about it. I thought about it, and, and I figured what it has to be, they want to have the second taping done early as possible so they could have the holiday off. Yeah, that would make sense. Rather than have it on December 20th, so you have the 20th, 27th, and January 3rd, you hold it on the 13th, and you just kind of switch around episodes three and four of that six-episode stretch, and you just get it over with. Of course, Vince McMahon would go back on that in years later and say, we want Raw live on Christmas Day. I watched the Eagles that night, so I didn't care. <laughs> so, that said, this is what this is what went up against probably the most important show that we said we had that year. In a year where they had Shockmaster falling on his face and achieving uh, the evil midget blowing up Sting and David Smith with a bomb on their boat. Now, that was... Wonderful. I'm that, that was a stunning 
uh, Beach Blast video. I do, I do encourage you to seek that out if you've never seen it before. If we ever decide to just do random shows for this podcast, we have to watch Fall Brawl 1993 and see how long it takes before one of us slips our wrist. I remember um, a mate of mine, um, first video, the first WCW video that I ever borrowed was off my old college friend, Tim Beaumont, who lent me Fall Brawl 1993, and it had <laughs> war games on it. And I remember thinking, why is it taking them like 20 minutes to explain the rules to this? <laughs> That was the least of that show's problems. That was, the, you, yeah, in hindsight, yes. If you ever want to see Ice Train versus Shanghai Pierce and Big Sky versus Charlie Norris on a pay-per-view that you spent actual money to see, that is your card. It's almost it's almost akin to the UK-only pay-per-views that the WWF used to do on Sky Box Office, where I distinctly remember at one point, I'd like to say I paid for it, but my mum and dad did, they paid like 13 English pounds to watch a show that featured the undercard match, Gilberg versus Tiger Ali Singh. That's like, money right there. Imagine paying $15 to watch WWF Metal. Well, unlike those two, at least Big Sky went on to play Michael Myers in the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. Yeah, I guess there was a little something to do with him. And Gilberg's um, inspiration did quite well after this. <laughs> yeah, Universal Soldier and the... Saudi well, Arabia. Anyway. Well, there's that too. <laughs> and that thing where he fell over a bit in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I want to apologize to Big Sky and Charlie Norris now because I, I didn't know what bad wrestling was until you just brought that up. <laughs> so, Rolf of December 27th, 93, as Herman Simpson would say, will this horrible year never end? <laughs> this is the last show of the year, isn't it? That is correct. Mate, we've we made it out of 1993. Yes, we have our frilly hats and our party favors. We're getting ready to celebrate the new year of 1994. <laughs> now, let me just ask real fast, off the top of your head, what was your absolute favorite moment of Raw this year? My favorite moment of Raw from this year? Um, I think in hindsight, the Savage uh, Crush Summit was good. I <laughs> thought the general pomp and circumstance around the USS Intrepid thing was fun. I thought that was a fun moment. I thought... Um, um, what else? What else was good? What else was good? Uh, the, the rise of the one, two, three kids been fun to watch. His, I was waiting for that. His upset winner of a razor is one of the greatest moments in Raw history. Taking, a, taking an unknown and making them a star overnight. It's, it's wonderful. Really like that. Um, Marty Jannetty's been overall a standout performer. Absolutely. As, no matter what condition he's in, as one, two, three kid pointed out in a shoot interview, he could just get up from whatever state he was in, go out there, put on a hell of a match, and then go back to whatever he was doing before. So, those, yeah, those are a couple of mine. How about yourself? Uh, well, since you named some of the best moments, I'll name some of the best matches we've seen in the past year. i got to give a shout to the Loser Leaves match that we watched almost one year ago, Flair versus Mr. Perfect. Flair's, before Flair went back to WCW. Uh, the catering qualifier, Perfect versus Doink. <laughs> that was an excellent match. Yes, I forgot about that. Also, Doink's match with uh, Marty Jannetty 2 out of 3 falls, where uh, it was all about like, like strategy and Doink just trying to take out Marty's legs so he couldn't do the flying fish drop. 
Again, Gennetti being a being a key player. Not just that, but Doink being a key player. Doink, Doink was amazing in this year until until the face turn, and then it all went a bit weird. Yeah, and then it, it all went sour, as, as noted. There were some damn good matches on Raw this year. I mean, it's starting to dissipate a little bit, but I'll throw in Sean and Kid from a few weeks ago. The match where Sean had to hit two wonky razor's edges on Scott Hall in the Iowa. Yeah, that was good, actually. Uh, the, the, the wonky razor's edges made it particularly memorable. Steiners and Quebecers for the tag titles under Quebec province rules. Giving uh, Pierre uh, a title win on his first Raw match ever. That was a weird one, but yeah, memorable moment for sure. And speaking of the Quebecers, they will be leading off this show as they are joining Vince McMahon on commentary here in Poughkeepsie. Uh, we do start off with a Tatanka Borger recap because that feud is not over yet. They're the really match. hot on this feud, aren't they? They really want us to love this feud. And it's a shame because we don't have much more time to enjoy it, unfortunately. Aww. Vince is with Jacques and Pierre at ringside. The gag here is that Jacques speaks perfect English. Pierre does not speak English at all, so why is he on commentary? Although, it's obviously he speaks French, but I always watch... When I'm, when I'm watching these for the Raw Review, I always watch with the closed captions on, just in case I miss any sort of zingers on commentary, I can reflect on them. And mm -hmm. what I found is every time that Pierre spoke, it just put in, in brackets, speaking in foreign language. <laughs> Not French, but foreign Not language. Not French, yeah, a foreign language. <laughs> Speaking, speaking evil, not English. Yeah, basically speaking in bad guy tongue, i.e., not American. He's speaking scoundrel. <laughs> right. Anybody else that doesn't speak English or American, they speak scoundrel. I've decided from now on. There's only two languages in the world according to Vince: foreign and correct. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a moment. I should note that this, is, this isn't just Pierre on commentary. This is current NWA World Tag Team Champion Pierre what and current Ring of Honor Six-Man Tag Team Champion on commentary. What a weird time. What a weird time. <laughs> and Pierre trashes Luger in French. I assume it's French. Of course, you, you were just told foreign, foreign language. language here, mate. It just it speaks in foreign language. <laughs> I just have to assume. I just, I just have to take that at face value that it is foreign. We start off with a match for the ages. We have a great American hero and Lex Luger in this match. <laughs> Lex Luger versus my friend and yours, Mr. Barry Horowitz. Big Barry Horowitz getting a big old payday against the the next superstar of the World Wrestling Federation. Go on, Barry. <laughs> Why do we never on the back. have a number one guy called Barry? Barry Windham was a top guy for many years. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Barry Windham. I forgot about you. <laughs> Sorry, Barry Windham, if you listen to this. Sorry. I think one of the guys in NXT should be renamed Barry. It was like, you know, Roderick Strong should be Barry Strong. Barry Strong. <laughs> it sounds like a clean, like somebody hosts a, a TV commercial for cleaning products. Hi, I'm Barry Strong. <laughs> Buy new kitchen Barry, gun. Because he's Barry, Barry Strong. <laughs> Jacques thinks it'd be funny if Hogwarts actually beat somebody. Hmm. Give it time. Well, wait, maybe a year and a half or so. Somewhere somewhere in the world, Chris Candido suddenly felt a shiver go down his spine. He has no idea why. 
Jacques takes time to complain about Lex Luger's body oil. <laughs> Don't they give out a bit on a bit on Barry talking about? Oh, he's got a better, but he's in better shape than Luger. <laughs> I think just trying to twist the knife at Vince a little bit. Wait, like, what are you pushing this guy for? He's not that impressive looking. <laughs> he, he, he looks nothing like Hawk Hogan as Vince squirms in his seat. <laughs> he's looking more like Sting the singer, which is funny because he's best friends with Sting the wrestler. The <laughs> fact that Lex Luger looks like Sting is very funny. I'm going to do for now my impression of Lex Luger singing Roxanne. Come on, then. Roxanne? You don't have to put on that dress tonight. Rock, sand, you. It's like Christopher Walken with depression. <laughs> you gave him far too much charisma in that bit. <laughs> Super Brawl Saturday? Uh, I don't know! Hmm. The funny thing about Sting the Singer is he's, he's he has, you know, I don't know whether you're a fan of Sting the Singer. I enjoy some of the songs. So, like, he's, he's, he's been a part of some, some amazing songs. I'll Be Watching You when he was in The Police from Roxanne, of course. Um, he did uh, Fields of Fields of Gold, uh, Fields of Barley. Me- message in a Bottle. Message in a Bottle. Some amazing songs, some powerful vocals. But um, but he's a Geordie. He's from New- He's just from outside Newcastle. So whenever he's interviewed, I read, I'm Sting. Fields of Barley. <laughs> which <laughs> is brilliant. I always forget he's from this this part of the country until they interview him and he goes, oh, I was a big fan of I'll be watching you. I can't wait to tune in the Call to Hollis news videos in the morning and see him sit next to Pacini. <laughs> I'm Sting from what culture? And here is 10 times <laughs> Lex Lucas look like me. <laughs> John... Join us. <laughs> Join us. Sting-aholic. John... Put Sting the Singer in a cultaholic video. Thank you very much. You can sit next to Adams, next to Rolls, it doesn't matter. Put next to Jen, I don't care. <laughs> Have you met me, Braun Strowman cut out anyway? Uh, Vince I... says, I think Jacques went into the business for himself a little bit, and Vince is a. I think you'll notice through the course of this show that Vince gets a little too annoyed with Jacques. I'm, I'm thinking there's a reason why this made him in Jacques' last appearance on commentary. <laughs> kind of a one and done. He was he was mugging to the camera quite a lot, which I was which I thought was brilliant. Jacques' a great heel, but I think just him and Vince were like oil and jelly. I think what we're learning from these commentary experiments is how how very different a craft is it is to be a heel wrestler and a heel commentator. It is very different, and I think you also notice that uh, who Vince likes and who Vince doesn't like. Yeah, because he'll and give it. He'll give a little bit more time, a little it. bit more energy to people who he does like. So Jacques lets the cat out of the bag, and it's going to be him and Pierre defending the tag team titles against Brett and Owen Hart, the Hart brothers, at the Royal Rumble. Because as you will learn on the show, Brett and Owen have made amends over the Christmas holiday. And Owen is no longer so gung-ho about challenging Brett to a one-on-one match. I was very annoyed that the Quebecers gave it away here. Yeah, I think Jacques really did jump the gun here, and I kind of can't blame Vince for uh, being a little peeved at him. And I think it was kind of noticeable. Because it was going to be a big thing they were going to build to later in the night, and they 
they messed it up. That's a, again, it's that thing of knowing, like the the, the skill set between being a good wrestler and a good commentator. It's so different. You ever seen those old Mike Tyson post-fight interviews where he knocks some chump out in the first round, and he'd be talking to whoever from HBO, Larry Merchant or whoever, and he'd be so excited to say something. He he gives his usual bizarre Tyson answer where he's so pumped up and full of you know, endorphins or whatever. And he like he can't wait to talk again. He's like, all like giddy. <laughs> he just he's just teeming with energy. That's Jacques here. <laughs> he's just happy to be working. I know he's just so excited to say words. And Pierre is too. It's just much of the much of the American audience can't quite understand what he's saying. So Luger and Harvitz are having this match. Harvitz gets in quite a bit of offense, which is. Part for Raw these days, the jobber's given a lot of offense. But then Luger starts no-selling him. Beats Pierre down and finishes him. I mean, beats, beats Harwood's down and finishes with a superplex. I thought that was a bit unusual as a finish. See, what they should have called it was the superb Lex. Ha-ha! <laughs> the superb Lex. Or the Lex a... Express. <laughs> Or the I can't use the forearm move. <laughs> Actually, the Lex Express would be would make sense as a superplex because it starts off on a high and it just comes <laughs> crashing down really quickly. How about how about the diminishing stock? <laughs> the Lex, it, it the, 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 the diminishing stock that shows the trajectory of WWF's portfolio with Lex Luger <laughs> on top. Or how about the how about the prematurely falling balloons? <laughs> Followed by tears. <laughs> Did, after that, after, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so when Luger won this match, they flashed up the one the one nine hundred number again to mm-hmm. ask you, should he be in the Rumble? Call us now. I noticed something in this this one that I didn't notice last week that freaked me out. What's that? Lex, the picture of Lex Luger with his tensed arms all flexing and stuff moves. It does? It moves. It freaked me out good and proper. I encourage you to watch this on the WWE Network and and I don't know how both of us missed this. But I saw it, and now I can't unsee it. It happens at about on this episode of Raw, which is episode 45, and it's um, nine minutes and I think two or three seconds in. Nine or four seconds in. Have you got it in front of you? Oh, sales call? Go ahead, continue. So, yeah, nine minutes and four seconds in, and it's the picture of Lex Luger flexing his muscles. And if you watch it, not only do his arms move, but he slowly goes from a frown to a terrifying smile. So it's Pachini at the start of the What Happened to That Wrestler music video. I, <laughs> I mean, it's not inaccurate. Mason, Ryan, Stevie Ray, Earthquake, Alundra Blaze. I'm going to say it. Ray Ray and Blaze don't rhyme. I'm going to say it. 
You sat next to that man. You never once told him. I, I, I might mention it at some point. Should I ever sit next to him again? Maybe. You, you, oh. You were, God, you were happy to have a job, MF. Or... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy to be out of the house more than anything. It's happy, happy to be out from underneath the landlord's feet. <laughs> the hardest working man in show business, Tom Campbell. <laughs> I'll accept this award. <laughs> What's this? Be a street dancer? I can do that. <laughs> I'll do whatever, mate. I'm just happy to be out of the house. I can mime. Uh, I feel like the Vince did say Lex Luger builds momentum after the win because as Michael Cole is tallest with Vince on headset, Building momentum is so important. <laughs> Make sure you always tell people that momentum's being built. Like the momentum that Barry Hardy and Dwayne Gill are building as a tag team in the WWF. Tag team extraordinaire, yeah. Tag team extraordinaires. Hey, their success is evident. <laughs> so Vince takes us back two months to Marty Jannetty versus 123 Kid. Is there anyone... Is there any episode of Raw today where they recall what happened two months ago not involving WrestleMania? I think it's a rarity when they recall anything that happened three weeks ago. So they're obviously building this polo issue of Kid and Jannetty, but then they put it on the back burner for a long time and realize, hey, we can still do this. We have the footage. So it's the October 25th Raw. Kid and Jannetty are having a, what amount to a friendly with one another, two baby faces that respect each other. Polo decides to interfere, saying I could beat both guys. He, he, he causes a, a, a count out. He, he pushes Janetti out of the way as Kid goes for a suicide dive. Kid wipes out. And now Polo's going to face Marty Janetti one-on-one. Yes, we have Raven versus Janetti on Raw. Polo cuts a promo. He, he cuts a promo where he calls him, he calls him Marty Confetti. <laughs> I thought Johnny Polo was good value here. Talking to, calling him, calling Vince Mr. McMoron. And referring to Marty Confetti. You know how weird it is, even to this day, to see Scott Levy do these promos not as Raven, but as like a like a, a very energetic, obnoxious Poindexter type. I think he's great. The only other promo I've I've seen him do is Johnny Polo. Was do you remember WrestleMania twelve? Yes. He was a backstage reporter. On the pre-show, I believe. Maybe it was Wasn't 11. It, it Maybe it been was 10. Well, 10, he was managing the Quebecers that night. But there was one way he was backstage and he was doing promos and all he did was talk about the food that he'd eaten with the celebrities. It had to be 10 then. I think it had to be 10. Wait till we get to WrestleMania 10. I'll point it out. Every promo he does, he talks about, oh, we went for some food. He ordered this. I thought it was disgusting. I had this. It was a good meal. Everyone he talks to, he talks about the food they ate together. He was great cutting either style of promo. And if you ever heard him on one of his like 94 Coliseum videos doing commentary with Monsoon, he's hilarious. He's untapped greatness is what he is at this point. I noticed one Undertaker match where, he's, where he points out, like, he waits three seconds before he sets up watch. One, two, three, see, he just did it again. Just, and Monsoon's, like, getting annoyed at him for just pointing out the secrets. It's just, he's just, he's just riffing, and it's, it's pretty funny. So, Marty Jannetty versus Johnny Polo. 
I was looking forward to this one because it's Raven wrestling. Uh, so Polo's wearing an RVD-style tank top with white polo pants and black boots. It is a startling look that he's got going on here. <laughs> but it is it is decidedly, well, you'd almost say that's so Raven, but it's not Raven. <laughs> <laughs> I do notice the uh, Jacques Genetti dynamic here. It's a nice throwback to the Rougeos and the Rockers from the late '80s. Yeah, it did feel. It I did like it. I did. did it did feel quite special. Like Marty Genetti still does feel like a feature attraction here. And even though the 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 feud is sort of very sketchy, it's just a nice excuse to have Genetti and Polo in a match. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay with it. It may not be. The- As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Most riveting of angles, but it gets him on TV. So Polo starts out out-wrestling him early. They do some technical exchanges. Polo's, for someone who's supposed to be a, you know, a, a manager who's a coward and runs away from baby faces, he's taking it to Marty Jannetty. I was surprised by this. I thought it would just be... Janetti getting a shoeing. Sorry, sorry, um, Polo getting a shoeing from Janetti. I wasn't expecting Polo to put in like a like a technical tour de force at the beginning. Yeah, he was holding his own here. Polo busts out some comical atomic drop cells, which is what we need more of in wrestling. Mm-hmm. The, the king of it was either Rick Rude or Greg Valentine. I would say Rude. 
Yeah, Rick Rude was pretty good for that. The, the way, way he, he went punch. up, the way he came down, the way he would he would play it with every part of his body. That reaction, including like his face, <laughs> his tash, his arms. Yeah, he he would walk like he was turtle heading, and and there was like a, a mudslide behind it. And he had to get to the toilet as, as, as soon as possible. In these spot where Marty turns an emerald fusion attempt, which I'm sure wasn't actually that, but into a sunset flip pin. Then Marty wipes out on a suicide dive, and then Johnny Polo runs off the ropes and proceeds to clear the top rope with a towering dive to the outside. Absolutely <laughs> unreal. You can't even hit that move on Fire Pro. <laughs> and then Polo turns to the camera and goes, Polo fever, catch it! <laughs> At this point, Razor Ramon should have walked to the ring and volunteered to put him over for the Intercontinental title. I'm, ama I'm amazed that this is that this is one of the very few runouts he got as Johnny Polo. Why couldn't he be a wrestler? Why like, he had to be Raven, just be an obnoxious heel. He was one of the best guys he had overall, and they never used him as anything other than a manager and Coliseum video announcer. It's him and Savage who Vince is adamant they're not they're not meant to be part of this. Oh, but the, your your new rubbish doink and Bastion Booger are. Wouldn't you want to see Savage versus Raven? That'd be incredible. That Those two in their heyday. Absolutely. So Vince tries to get topical here, and this might be the weirdest moment of a weird show. He talks about how if the Quebecers lose at the Rumble, they could end up at the Neverland Ranch. Yeah, I was... Was this saying, like, the punishment is you'll go hang out with child offender Michael Jackson? <laughs> Allegedly, <laughs> apparently, accused of. I went back to re-listen to that quote. because I, I, I couldn't have heard that the way I heard it. And sure enough, Vince talks about them ending up at the Neverland Ranch, which I'm sure he's not implying hanging out in a good way with Jacko. I assume he meant the alleged bad way. They had to it's mean like, the alleged, apparently accused of way. Would, uh, would now be a good time to raise my hand and point out that Jacques and Pierre are adult males? I mean, adults. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. I don't think they are the. Alleged, apparent, um, type. <laughs> Can you imagine anyone trying any shenanigans with PCO? I, I, you know what? I would. I think whoever did is the bravest man of all. <laughs> so this goes back to a seesaw battle, as we segue away from that awful subject. Pierre goes to help Polo out when when Janae gets the upper hand. Jenny hits both of the baseball slide. Pierre trips him on one spot, though. Pierre saves Polo from the, from the flying fish drop, so Marty just plunges onto him. Marty tries with a sunset flip. Polo sits down. Pierre holds his hands for leverage, and Polo wins the match. Amazing. My, Johnny Polo winning a match over Marty Gennetti. That was a really good match, too. It was really good. I was that was dead chuffed with that match. I thought I was expecting, like I said to you, I was expecting it to be Johnny Polo just gets battered, but the fact that it became this this back and forth wrestling match was excellent. And Polo held his own. He didn't he didn't look out of place not even once. I think Johnny Polo looked better than some of the main 
wrestlers on the roster. He's Raven. Of course, he's one of the best guys they have at this point. And there he is as a manager. Jeez. Exactly. After the match, Marty grabs a chair. He's furious because he knows there was chicanery. So Joey Morello throws PCO out. At now, that, I have a question with this. Yeah? The match is finished. Correct. So, does Joey Morello really have the authority to throw Pierre off of commentary? His dad is Gorilla Monsoon. Fair point, well made. <laughs> dad says you got to go. At that point, Vince is probably thinking, I should turn to Morello and say, hey, Jacques interfered also, just to get him off commentary. Just to get him off. I thought, yeah, if they were going to get rid of anybody, it would have been Jacques. He's been such a such a gob for the last half an hour. But no, off goes Pierre. So which means I say goodbye to my brackets speaking in foreign language on the closed captioning. Who's <laughs> not Vince speaking in Vince? <laughs> That's even worse. We have the uh, Yoko Claus ad two days following Christmas. But hey, it's still the holiday season, so why not? Mm. So we have... weird. So the I can't get over this Yoko Claus thing, like the, the suspension of disbelief that one has to have. It is pretty amusing, is, though. Is ridiculous. We come to something even more ridiculous. Now we've seen probably roughly two hundred matches in this calendar year here, nineteen ninety-three. This may have been the worst match of them all. I'm not sure. Maybe the one Doink had where he did wrestle for six minutes was worse, but Doink versus Spike Gray. Or Mike Gray, as Vince likes to call him. Or Mike and Ike Gray. <laughs> so we're now deep into this era of good guy Doink. Remind me who is Doink at this point. Um, At this point, I, I did look it up, and, 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 and judging by looking at Doink in the, in the flesh here, I think this may have been the brawler. Right. Before they went out and got Ray Lee and Shelly to take over full-time. So at this point, Doink brings out Dink in a little red wagon. And Jacques gets his one funny line on the show, which is, you mean Doink had a little Dink for Christmas? <laughs> which goes over Vince's head and he agrees with it and Jacques laughs. Pardon I'm sure Vince got it eventually and realized that. This. Anyway. So Doink has some chewing gum, which he puts into his mouth. Dink offers some to Spike Gray, who, like an idiot, accepts. Of course, it's the old snapping gum gag. Then Doink... I'm sorry, then Dink kicks Spike Gray in the shin. Dink actually punches Gray from the turnbuckle. And Doink wins with a bad German suplex. And I wrote The Aristocrats. <laughs> I don't think there was enough in this match to make it the worst match. I thought it was just a daft um, angle to Dink remind us how wacky Doink the Clown is. Well, I mean, it, it didn't make it entertaining in the slightest. I'm pretty sure when I was 10 years old, I thought this was stupid. <laughs> I'm, th I'm 35 now, and I know it's stupid. I just, the whole doink is a good guy thing will forever make me sad. Because it's just a great example of how, of, of, of something that we know now more than ever. Vince just not quite getting it sometimes. Here's one for the scholars. Could Johnny Polo Raven have been a better heel doink than Matt Bourne? Ooh. 
because we know he could be maniacal, and we know he could be evil, and we know he could be obnoxious. And he's a very smart man on top of all that. Matt Bourne's a smart guy too, but he, and he perfected the role. No one did it better than Matt Bourne. But could Raven possibly do it better than Matt Bourne? That's a really good question. Um, I I'm I think Raven, aka Scott Levy, was at mm. his best playing more um, sort of more rooted in reality type characters like okay. Johnny Polo, which is sort of like the, the, the posh guy with a chip and then Raven, who was like the angsty, the angsty young man type. Mm. I think that's Scott's best work, whether or not he could have played Doink or a character akin to Doink. I'm sure he would have been great, but I don't think it would have been his best. Well, it's, it's up for debate. I mean, we need, you never know until you see somebody in the role and how they do, but I think if any, out of everybody else on the roster at the time, he would have done the best at it. Yeah, very likely so. I think. I think. Yeah, there's not there's not a great depth that could have done it anyway. That's true. We go to the Royal Rumble report. Pettengill makes two bad jokes early. I wrote he's about a six on the punchability scale this week. <laughs> you usually he's better than this when he's doing these reports, but this week he tries to be funny and it kind of falls flat. We're up to 18 names for the Royal Rumble match. And we got some uh, some serious beef in this now. Beef. The field... Spice. <laughs> Everything nice. This is what Vince McMahon uses to create the perfect little girl. Ross, is that you? <laughs> you made a great mistake, Corey. <laughs> so we have the, of the 18 names in the field, we have Bret Hart. We have Crush. The third name announces Kamala. Uh, Owen Hart, Bastardized Doink, Mabel, Scott Steiner, Shawn Michaels, Diesel, Adam Bomb, Bam Bam Bigelow, Randy Savage, the one, two, three kid. Both head shrinkers. Rick Steiner, why, why he's not with Scott, I have no idea. Bob Backlund, and the one that I marked out for the most, and I know you did too. Greg the Hammer Valentine. Oh, they're dusting off the hammer. Come on. And this Which time, armory not... did they find him hiding in? They found him in the Blue Knight costume at Survivor Series. <laughs> of course, because he was the Blue Knight. Hey, you you watch WrestleMania 20 when he announced the Hall of Famers in front of the live crowd. Hammer got the biggest pop out of all of them. It's, yep, he certainly did. Which is weird. I like how his hair has not changed in forty years. He just it just looks like he's he doesn't look like he's got old. It looks like he's just got leathery. <laughs> Greg Valentine was never actually born. He just came out of the woods one day and turned his shin guard around. <laughs> John <laughs> Your your topic is the birth of Greg Valentine. <laughs> I based that on, on the old Arn Anderson joke, the idea that the, the Arn's been the same age forever. It's like Frau Farbissima. The, the Arn was never actually born. He just came out of the woods one day on horseback holding up four fingers. <laughs> that was before he fathered Scott Dawson. Oh, that's true. And maybe Carl Anderson. Yeah, they're all Andersons, all of them. And Beer City Bruiser. 
all that. Yeah, it's true. I could see that too. Like, like any sort of roughneck guy with a slight beard gut and a beard and wrestling is related to Arn Anderson in some way. <laughs> They're, They're all related. One big happy weird family. And and you wouldn't mess with any of them. So besides the eighteen men in the rumble field, we have the. Reminder of the 900 number for Luger. He could still be in the Rumble. You just got to keep voting for him. We have Taker and Yoko in the casket match for the world title. Quebec and Hart's tag titles. Brett and Owen get their drop-in interview. We talk about how they've mended fences over the holidays. Everything's all hunky-dory between the Hearts, the way it usually is. The Hearts have never had any issues whatsoever. Which, but by the way, quick segue. You have to see the Stampede 99 reboot thing on the network. What's this? Uh, the new hidden gem for this week is when Stampede came back in 99 with, with Bruce and Ross running the show. They tried to reboot the company with, with young Mauro Ranallo on commentary and some other guy who was – this guy was completely unqualified next to Mauro, but Mauro is always you know, gold. Um, the two biggest stars on the show are Tatanka and Brockus. Oh, my God. Well, I know and, what I'm and, watching and, when we finish tonight. And the group with them wrestling on this show are the sorriest bunch of nobodies you've ever seen, including one guy. I can't remember what his last name is, but his first name is an initial, and his middle name is, is a name. And the, the, the first initial and middle name are H-I-V, as in H-I-V. Oh, God. I think there's three guys with the word dick in their name on this show. The Bruce Hart naming generator was in full effect. <laughs> I don't know what was worse, this or the AWA pilot from '89. It's close. Oh, I'm excited! I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch the Stampede thing. I'm gonna watch at the Stampede it, thing. At least this one has Morrow. At least there's that. I'm excited to hear a young Morrow. It would get better when they had, um, you know, Harry Smith and Tyson Kidd and Teddy Hart. You know, guys who actually could work and were young and dynamic when you had those guys plus natty when you actually had talent like that on the show it made it worthwhile but they're nowhere to be seen here they're all a little too young yeah 99 was kind of a, a, a weird time for what quantified as a pro wrestler yeah this is this is like during the attitude era just like mania 15 weekend this stuff came out and it wasn't pretty it was not pretty talking of not pretty uh, yes, we continue on with this show. As we come to the very end of 93 here, we have a, a plug for next week, and, and this baffled me. <laughs> I have so many questions after seeing this. Okay, so the match is the Smoking Guns versus the beastly duo of Bam Bam Bigelow and Bastion Booger. So it's Pentagon doing, doing the voiceover. It's that dramatic tin 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 music that they use sometimes with the blue subway footage going by in the background. And so it's thinking of Clash of the Titans here. And Pengo goes, Beauty versus the Beast. <laughs> this is Todd Pettingill admitting that he fancies the smoking guns. He's had a Tom Selleck fetish for years. He loves the mustache. That's why they had to get rid of him in 97 because the Dan Severn was coming in. And they knew that he would just flood out the backstage area with his bodily fluids as soon as he saw him. <laughs> See, if Scott Shannon had just grown a mustache, everything would have been fine. 
I got a stash on my face. It wouldn't have been a Christian station and we would have maybe had Broadway Bill Lee in the morning. Oh, it's a, it is a Christian station now? Yeah, the old one that Todd used to work on. It rebranded as a Christian station. Is, is it called Thank God Todd's Gone? <laughs> TG, TG. <laughs> as opposed to WPLJ. <laughs> What? Pettengill's leaving? <laughs> I think that we should bring Pettengill back, actually. I would love to see him pop up on the Edge and Christian show or something like that. Because no, they're, they're not adverse to doing that. They did that whole bit with Sean Mooney and the late, great, mean Gene Oakland. Oh, sure where they, they had them together. They had Virgil on, they had Shockmaster on. They'll, they'd do it, probably. Yeah, get Pettengill on there. Get Pettenzoo on there. He did host that DVD a few years ago. Which yeah, one? best of in your best of in your house. Did he? Yeah, man. It was, it was, it was, he did the old studio from like '95. He, he, of course, he had blonde hair at this point, but he's like he had like the cardboard cutouts of Diesel and Brett there. He's like just you know do like the bumper segments in between matches. Oh, it, cool. it was actually cool seeing Todd again. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I'll tell you what, I find him more tolerable than Todd Phillips. I don't think Todd's that bad. I think that's the problem. I think with a lot of the guys today, there's nothing there that really makes me go, I hate you. There's there's just not... There's a handful who are great and then a handful who are just there. He's, he's not like Tom Hanks holding back a sneeze. <laughs> AJ Styles. Can I seek your counsel sure. on... Aiden English is a commentator. Um, I don't watch 205 Live, so I can't really comment. Fair all, enough. All I remember is that one kickoff show match where he, he, he said kick seven times in a row. I just don't rate him as a commentator. I feel like a bit bad for saying it because he's very beloved. But I just don't... Ah, something about him as a commentator that doesn't sit with me. The problem today is... is is there is no chemistry. It's just three people saying phrases. Yeah, you and the, the, because there's no need for that chemistry because of the way the commentary is done. But it, it helps if you've got some. They're not having a conversation. They're just creating sound bites for video packages in the future. That's all they're doing. It's so pre-packaged and manufactured. It's like prefab houses. That's a good shout. It, it, it's... You're not going to have a monsoon and a heat on W's watch ever again. Even if you have two people who are so talented and work so well together, the way they're produced, it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's not in their nature to... I mean, the, the, in an ideal world, they want the commentators to be very much like the referees in the sense they're just sort of background to what's going on in the middle. They don't want anything to detract from the main action. No one's allowed to assert their own control. And it's, it's evident all through the product, and that's why it's no fun. I, I haven't watched Raw in two months. Oh, really? I, I have not. I've, I've watched SmackDown in over two years. Jeez. Just, uh, I watch the pay-per-views, and I, and, I, and I see, oh, this is what it's come to. I'll enjoy some stuff. I'll enjoy a great match when I see it. I enjoy the takeovers. I, I have, for the last year or so, probably watched Raw on a Tuesday morning via the YouTube clips that they put on. You know, it's got to be more tolerable than sitting there for three hours watching it. Yeah, exactly. 
So we uh, we go to Crush versus Mike Moraldo. And this is where Crush debuts his underrated eerie theme music. It's just a whole uh, makeover for Crush, though, because it's new cool music, it's new gear, it's new ring face paint, and it's new wrestling style. Yes, he's, 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 he's not only has he modified his finishing move, which we'll get to, but he's busting out pseudo martial arts. He, he's striking like kung fu poses. He's he does the John Cena lightning fist at one point. So I love that fish. the lightning fist. Yeah. It's during his match that Jacques chastises Vince for having gray hair, which I thought was pretty funny. So uh, Jacques Jacques is so excited to talk during this match that he's. A few times on the show, he's had a few malaprops. And he talks about how, how Crush is going to put the squeezing brain on Moraldo. <laughs> which sounds like a face hugger from, a, from Alien. Look out, look out, Ripley. There's the squeezing brain. That's some quality writing right there. See, this, <laughs> this is why Vince produces people. I, 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 just, I just realized it. Now we see why. Vince search controller for his commentators. Because he it's just doesn't trust him. So Crush finishes. He finishes with with a variant of the old cranium crunch, but with a twist. He throws Moraldo off the ropes, catches him by the head with one hand, hits hits the Eric Rowan Iron Claw slam, drops him on the mat, then pulls him up, and and does the head crush, but with a palm on the forehead and the palm on the back of the head before squeezing. Yeah, that's kind of a cool looking move. Yeah, I like the mix up actually. I thought it I thought it worked really well. So we have a more vicious crush now, with no regard for Mike Moraldo's safety. He finishes and starts tricking some Steven Seagal poses. I liked it. I like this new Steven Seagal-y esque crush. <laughs> and he still has the few with Randy Savage going, which will be addressed in '94. I enjoyed the match for what it was. So now we come to what I'm, I'm going to guess is your favorite part of the show. Second favorite part. Because my oh. other favorite part comes pretty much immediately after. But this is my favorite part to this point. Okay. I, I, we are back in the Undertaker's shop. Undertaker's workshop. It's, it's post-holidays, but he's working overtime here. <laughs> I like that he has a coffin blueprint hanging right there. That says Yoko Coffin. Just in case he was, he'd forgotten what he was working on. I mean, admittedly, it doesn't look particularly... Um, the, accurate detailed. in terms of yeah detailed so, severely lacking detail of sort of the size and dimensions and stuff it's like something you draw in like kindergarten and the teacher puts up, up on the wall yoko coffin and he and he had like a stick figure version of yoko and, and it blew like a frowny face on it <laughs> like huh, we should get him to the school psychiatrist and also he's looking at it like he's looking at it for the first time it's not that he's detailed. been building it for He's been building it for weeks. Exactly. I'm hoping he's a bit further along, because otherwise he's going to miss his deadline. I'll make the lid uh, on Tuesday. I have a house show loop this weekend. <laughs> I get Craig to do it, but Craig has been very inefficient with the Johnson account lately. So I'm letting <laughs> him focus on the Johnson account, and I'm just going to focus on Yoko's one. I'd have Glenn do it, but he's filling a cavity. <laughs> nice. Imagine if during this promo, he's there talking away, and then like the phone rings in the background. <laughs> he answers, "Hello." 
Hello, yes. Is that Undertakers? I'd like I'd like to order a casket, please. <laughs> it's like a prank call from a couple frat guys. <laughs> it's a prank. It's a prank call by by the Quebecers. <laughs> the one speaking French. Speaking in foreign language. Is this Rene Goulet again? <laughs> so the... I'd like a casket to put my career in, please. So the hammer for this segment is that Taker puts a wreath on the lid and says, Merry Christmas to Yokozuna. Ho. 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 It sounds like he's playing ho bag on a Yushu. <laughs> I don't think this bit was meant to be funny, was it? No, but it was. Because it was downright hilarious. <laughs> All right, so ho or not ho, Mark. See, this is what he could be doing if he never signed with WWE. He could be on... <laughs> You shoot with a uh... hell. I forgot his name already. What's his name? The king of commentary guy, Sean Oliver. That's right, Sean Oliver. <laughs> what do you want to see Taker do? Like a shoot like that? I'd love that. All right, Mark. What's in the bag? Uh, let's see, whiskey. Um, Some wood. <laughs> so it's 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 from an old supplier. We've got a new supplier now because this one was inefficient. <laughs> so we've <laughs> got some old business cards. So, Tom, assuming that the next thing we're talking about is the PSA that follows, I'll let you handle this. Oh, one. actually, I mean, this is I'm, my my memory played tricks on me. It's not this bit that's my favorite, but this is still a stonker because obviously they, they put out a PSA last year or earlier this year, sorry, from The Undertaker, which said, if you drink and drive, you'll meet me, which sends out the wrong impression. So it makes it sound like it's a competition. If you drink and drive, you win a visit from The Undertaker. And he'll exactly. sign books for you. So obviously they mix it up, and it's Bret Hart. And the thing is, Bret Hart has always got a very a very, a very, very standard Bret Hart style of promo. So I wasn't... I didn't know what this was going to lead to. I thought this might maybe have been a don't try this at home. I thought it might have bled into a, a rumble thing. So when Bret Hart's there saying, Ah, oh, Bret Hart and I do all the fighting, da 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 and don't forget, this holiday season, don't make a fatal mistake and don't drink and drive. And it had like upbeat, energetic music to it, as opposed to something like more somber and sobering. And he also told me that um, to remember these words of wisdom, you're going to be having a good time, you're going to be partying, and you're going to be celebrating. Might not be. But he said it in such a way that was like, he sounded angry. Like, he didn't sound like, hey, you're going to have a good time. You're gonna, he was like, he was listing it off like he was about to tell me off for it, which in a way he kind of was. You're going to have a good time. You're going to party. You're going to celebrate. But don't drink and drive. Who would be the most effective possible PSA for this? They've done it. It's Undertaker. <laughs> if Haku were still there, would that work? I think if, if Haku told me not to drink, I'd listen to Haku. <laughs> I wouldn't even swallow my spit at that point. <laughs> hey, don't drink and drive, or I'll come looking for you. Who, yes, sir. Who could they use? Who could they use? Um, for... L.A. Gore. <laughs> because what they would do, what they would do is, you know, hi, I'm L.A. Gore. I'm, I'm on <laughs> Raw all the time, and right now I'm off to go and drink and drive. See you later. And then we never see him again. <laughs> no, 
And then they go to the in the memory of L.A. Gore in 19-whatever to 1993. <laughs> like, I know he's alive, but that would be like, oh, my God, he's dead. <laughs> and then cuts to Undertaker going, he came to meet me. <laughs> he was going to play Kane, but Vince said he was too short. <laughs> that's that's got to be Gore. So we got battered. <laughs> That's gotta be Gore. That's gotta. Gore is alive, Undertaker. <laughs> he would have a brother named Gore, wouldn't he? It's a good name, John. Retroactively, <laughs> make L.A. Gore Undertaker's brother. <laughs> That's gotta be Gore. So after we see the. PSA from Bret Hart warning us not to have fun. Uh, we go to clips, not a match, but clips of the women's title tournament final <laughs> between the Lunger Blaze and a, a, a woman who is a trainer at the gym that is five minutes from my house, Miss Heidi Lee Morgan. Get away! Really? Yes, she is. That is incredible. I marked out when I saw what city she was from in the, in the WWE... Uh, was it like like the anthology, the yearbook, whatever it is, the um, like the encyclopedia. That's what it is. And I'm like, no way, she can't be from there, could she? Because that's like, it's my neighboring city here in New Jersey. Oh, that's incredible. Will she want to come on the show? Uh, perhaps. Maybe I could, I, I could message her and see what she wants to do. Please do, because I'd love to talk to her about her and the promo that she does. Okay, so I'll let you handle this. If, okay, since... so so this is a winner before it even starts. Because as Vince McMahon is explaining, like, we are crowning a women's champion and the finals have happened. As he's talking, right front of the camera is Jacques mugging to the camera, flexing his muscles, <laughs> smiling. He brings out the tag team belt and just puts it in front of him. Like, we're, we're about to announce a brand new title, a brand new division, and Jacques don't care. Smiling, flexing, <laughs> belt up. He's brilliant. So then we go to the Probos. Now, I'm... I, <laughs> where to begin? So... It's, it's the finals of the women's tournament and the two finalists cut their, what appeared to be their first ever WWF promos in front of basically everybody's weird auntie's curtain. <clears throat> I, which looks horrible. So we get uh, a lunger blaze who says, hi, I'm a lunger blaze. The WWF no, just no, no, finished. No, 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 you did it wrong. You did it wrong. Oh, did I? Hi, I am Alundra Blaze. I am the female Lex Luger. <laughs> I I thrive on competition. <laughs> At the beep, leave your message. <laughs> and I, I love Medusa, don't get me wrong. She's one of the best women's wrestlers ever. Highly influential. Uh, wrestled in various countries, continents. Has, has an international reputation as, as a great performer inside the ring. But promos were not her strong suit. No, absolutely not. But um, but in this one in particular, where she says, "It's come down. This tournament's come down to the last two women, myself and Heidi Lee Morgan," and she's just proceeds to go. She's a very good wrestler, but I have confidence that I'll be able to win it, and I hope you do too. <laughs> so it's like cool, great. And then we meet Heidi Lee Morgan, who I've never met in my entire life. And immediately greeted by this big 80s hair. 
<laughs> I thought Primer actually. I thought Primer actually was not that bad. It had at least like a motive to it. Well, let well let's got... break down the promo a little bit and see if you agree at the end. Okay. You are popular Good. tonight. I sure am. What if it's an emergency? It says spam right on the ID. Keep going. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> Heidi Lee Morgan, who says, Alundra Blaze, I went through the same women you went through. Which is, I guess, so I guess it's like, it's like the G1 where they face the same people. <laughs> I, I did cross my mind going, so was it, was it a round robin? But I was told all the way through it was a tournament. So she has faced none of the same women that she's faced. Which threw me slightly. And then um, she goes on to say, you, th you, you think you're walking out of the, the tournament being the champion? I think not, Sivu Play. <laughs> In this sort of southern drawl. I think not, Sivu Play. Well, I guys, think not, please. You have to understand, we live below the Mason-Dixon line here in, in New Jersey. And... <laughs> the thing is, it it made me laugh because I've been watching this on closed captions. Pierre's been talking all night, and every time he spoke, it says, speaking in foreign language. But it says here, Sivu Play, in perfect perfect lettering. Sivu Play. So whoever's doing the subtitles knows French. <laughs> Well, so I just and also like away from that, the Sivu play thing. Why even say it? But either way, she says she's going to be the World Wrestling Federation champion. So good luck beating Yokozuna. I'm excited to see the match. Now we get highlights of this match next. And, and, oh, and then she also says, just you watch and see. As opposed okay. to wait and see. So, just you watch, and then you watch some more. Yeah, one take. <laughs> one take, so, you're done, Sifu Play. Thank you. So now this match really confused me, because we're watching women's wrestling, and at this point, Stephen McMahon was in high school. So you think they make a bigger deal out of a high school student inventing women's wrestling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Very true. Because she did the women's wrestling. She had her face on currency. She should be having like a national holiday in her honor. This woman's like a trailblazer in so many ways. In high school, she invented women's wrestling. I yeah, that's very that's actually a very good point. I think what I I I know I've just rubbished the promo, but I'm I'd like to point out I'm an equal opportunity rubbisher and an equal opportunity brazer. So had Ludwig Borger just busted out Sivu play. He'd have got a kick in as well, just so we know. I say that because what we then see is footage from the match, which actually, do you know what? It says a lot about how far to go women's wrestling truly was because these matches were taped at Raw. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me that the stuff that we have been watching on Raw for the last few weeks is superior to crowning a new division's champion. Well, actually, the match that we... The tournament final had actually aired on All-American Wrestling either the day before this or the week before this. Ah, uh, okay. That's okay. Okay, so, that's fine. But still, but still, it's so insignificant in their eyes that all this is just window dressing for haha, we have Medusa. That, uh... There's like, you know, here's some clips. And here's Morgan busting out you know, a top rope plancha to the outside. 
like they went they appeared to have gone all out in like this little six or seven minute match and boom which plays wins with a German suplex, and they snap German suplex. And what sucked is that they they went for it, and they look and it looked like it was a good match. But every time they showed a clip, at least once you would hear a cat call, and it was a bit grim. Uh, you hear yeah, blokes you... whistling because it shows of the time that it was, and it just makes you feel a bit weird. Even though it was Medusa, they were just still whistling. Is... It's a bad start to. A women's revolution here, isn't is it not? It's slightly ropey. I mean, it, I'm. Uh, they, there's there's better ways they could have done it. I mean, the fact that it was happening was 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 good, but I, it, it certainly could have been given a bit more polish and a bit more love. Sure. We have a promo for Quang, <laughs> who does a little bit of jumpy jumpy fat jumpy hand movement, which is chuckly, makes me chuckle. <laughs> We hear the gong that tells him, hey, he's Asian. Or is he M- Savio Vega? MLW's Savio Vega. Oh, dun, dun, dun. He's, he's preparing for his, uh, his own PCO run of sorts in his 50s. Is he really? Is he coming back? Yes, he signed with MLW. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. 54-year-old Savio Vega. I need to pay more attention to MLW. I saw Savio wrestle in my hometown about eight years ago, and he bled he bled buckets against his opponent. On the way to the ring, he grabbed my friend's fedora and put it on and danced while wearing it. <laughs> I was quite happy. As was my friend who was over the moon. So we come to the final match. It's Razor Ramon versus Derek Domino. A great RVD-style ponytail on Domino. Jacques makes a Domino's pizza joke, which is coincidental because my food should be arriving in ten minutes from Domino's. Oh, perfect timing. Yes, I said it for 15 minutes after our intended finishing time, but we're going a little bit over today. That's fine. Domino's taking it to Razor, and Razor starts beating the living crap out of him, almost like grimacing while he beats him as if Domino may have possibly gone out of turn here. I don't know. Yeah, he does wail on him, doesn't he? It sure seems like it. The the chops and the punches and the slaps just uh, seem unnecessarily aggressive. Well, it's Razor's. He, he's Mac as Iris stole his gold, so he's a little bit on edge. Pun not intended. Hey. And, and, and fittingly, this is the last match of 93 on the show because Jacques goes off on a tangent about Fidel Castro's daughter. <laughs> because we had to talk about topical matters on our wrestling show. Keep it topical. Because, you know, I'm sure Jacques did not give crap one about Fidel Castro's daughter. <laughs> I don't think he did. I think they were just desperately trying to, as you say, keep it topical. Vince plugs a USA movie about Mike Tyson. In four years, he'll become much more relevant to WWE matters. Oh, I love stuff like that when it comes up. And Jacques actually confuses Vince at one point with a joke about a domino stretch, as, as Richard replies an abdominal stretch. And Jacques doesn't really get the uh, um, a pun. So they make more pizza jokes about Little Caesars, and uh, I think Pizza Hut got thrown in there at one point. Then Vince tries to make it more topical by talking about Bill Clinton and the Arkansas State Troopers, which was a new story at the time. Razor's Edge finishes, and Vince makes sort of shooty comments about Jacques' commentary. Because I guess he wasn't too enamored with it, but that's that. 
So how, should, how do you assess the Quebecers' overall performance on commentary on this show on the Bartlett-Heen scale? Oh, okay. I think not as good as... Michaels was ropey last week, but I don't think... I don't think they were as good as Michaels. I don't forgive them for ruining the Brett Owen announcement either. Yeah, so Pierre should get like an incomplete, I think. Yeah, incomplete yeah. for Pierre. But I think we'll. I want to put Jacques at a five. I'll, I'll go about that also. He, he he did amuse me, but he kind of uh, derailed the show in some ways. Yeah. So. So he sits nightly to five. He's nowhere near as good as Sean, but he could have been a lot worse, which is yeah. which is fine. He's still nowhere near a Bartlett. Cornette's still the gold standard of, of the guests so far. Without a shadow of a doubt. And that and comes pay. to a conclusion of 1994. 1993, even. I wish it was the end of 94. We've been getting the 95. <laughs> no, wait, no, wait, no. Wait, no, I don't. Oh, no. God, we've got that to look forward to. So that's the end of 1993. So next time we are together... We begin a brand new year, and we head into the, uh, the, the the fascinating times of 1994. Yes, the year of Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump, uh, the death of Kurt Cobain, Hulk Hogan signs with WCW, Michael Jordan plays baseball, and so many other things happen. Well, we are excited to bring you... Some shenanigans from 1994 next time we are together. But for now, we're a man who, is, who has had a pizza arrive that is getting cold. He is at JRH Writing. I am Tom Campbell. Together we are from at Cultaholic. We've mentioned every member of Cultaholic on this week's episode, except one. Love you, dick tubs. I love you. Bye. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.